welcome to the Pinch to Zoom podcast, the show where we zoom in on the latest tech news, products, and trends. I'm Stetson. I'm Gabe. And in this episode, we're talking about our dream camera, what features we want, uh, what qualities we want it to have, the build. It's going to be an exciting episode. And we thought of this actually because we had some pretty exciting camera news these past two weeks, right, Gabe? Yes, this is, uh, you know, the NAB would be happening around now. So camera companies have from, you know, Canon to I think Nikon dropped some stuff. We might even get some GoPro news, I'm hoping. But we've also got, you know, upcoming news from DJI. Really, everyone who makes any cameras, even some smartphone stuff, came out with their news in the past uh, couple weeks and will be coming out with more news in the future. Yeah, I mean, we've got tons. Of, it's kind of surprising, actually. I would have thought camera manufacturers would have slowed down their products and release cycles, but it really seems like they were gearing up for the Summer Olympics and they still had everything on exactly. schedule almost. Yeah, so. they've. I think a lot of it is stuff they probably pretty much already had, you know, started manufacturing. They'd finished designing. They were just working on promo and stuff like that. If anything, maybe they pushed it back by a couple weeks, but most of it was done. Uh, and so it was pretty easy to, you know, just do a press release instead of a keynote or do an online live stream instead of some big, you know, multi-person event. Right. Well, let's get into quick news. So roll that intro. Quick, quick, quick news. First stuff in quick news, we have all the new products that were released. I know we already mentioned a couple of them, so let's get into the Canon products that we saw released. The big one, which got quickly overshadowed, was the Canon uh, C300 Mark II. Now, this is their cinema wait, camera. Wait, whoa, okay, what? Canon had another camera come out? Okay, fine. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that this one later then, because the big one was the <laughs> Canon EOS R5 specs that dropped. This camera isn't even out yet. You know, they haven't put a release date on it, but they just keep, you know, sprinkling a little bit of like specs here and there to keep people salivating and from going with any other cameras from other manufacturers. Right. I mean, they, they've been just sprinkling the information out. And I mean, I'm basically drooling over this camera. What do we now know about the EOS R5 that makes it so compelling? I don't think you're alone with drooling, by the way. I think pretty Ew. much any, on, any online creator is just like head over heels. Can't wait for this. Anyway, so the big specs. 8K 30 FPS internal. And this is raw recording. Also, not that not to be outdone, it's going to be able to do DCI 4K 120 in 422 10-bit uh, Canon log or HDR. So that's 4K 120 FPS internal recording. That is nuts. I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, like this is a cinematographer's dream. You're just getting high-quality files primed and juicy and ripe for editing and it's just gonna yeah, be well, beautiful the, well, the big thing okay is a it's high specs so this is impressive for you know people like you and i who are more like online creators videographers who are oh we see 8k great oh 4k 120 cool that can help my workflow and it's also a camera that can take photos but the really important thing is for people like who, those who are looking at the c300 mark ii or mark three you know the more cinema cameras and who just want a b camera that you know, the EOS R5 is probably going to be around $5,000, $4,000, which is cheap compared to a cinema camera. This camera can actually work as a proper B camera because it has really good codecs built in and, you know, the footage will match with the actual cinema camera. Right. And let's not forget Canon's dual pixel autofocus, which they've confirmed will be working in 4K and 8K and slow motion yep. video. 
And we're going to have Canon's color science. And a lot of people are huge fans of this. Yeah, that that is gonna, pretty much the big things we heard. The other little thing they put about, out about this camera is they confirmed that the two slots, they said it was going to have two card slots. One is going to be CF Express and the other is actually going to still be an SD card slot. So the CF Express is a lot more expensive cards. You know, I think they're like two, three hundred dollars potentially. Uh, but that's going to enable, of course, that 8K30 in recording and then still having that SD card slot. If you don't really need that higher frame rates or higher resolution recording is good because you can have a cheaper way to back up your footage in the camera. If you're a creator, you're excited about this. Uh, but Gabe, you mentioned Canon. They released another camera. Yeah, this is the one that if you're more into cinematography and broadcast uh, video, you're going to be into this camera. It's $11,000, though. It's a C300 Mark III. It's a Super 35 cinema camera. Uh, also uses the dual pixel AF technology. But the big thing here is you're getting an upgrade on the dynamic range using what they're calling dual gain output, which is kind of similar to the dual pixel AF. Basically, it uses those two pixels to one capture underexposed, one capture slightly overexposed, combines them together, and it gives you HDR footage with about 16 stops of dynamic range, which is very impressive if you consider that most of the high-end DSLRs mirrorless cameras are maybe like 12. Yeah, honestly, what surprised me most about this camera is that it's only 12 megapixels. And as we discussed in our APS-C versus full frame podcast episode, uh, actually, you mentioned this quite a lot, is the larger pixel size helps reduce noise, helps give you that better dynamic range, and just gives you a cleaner, much nicer image to look at. So pixels or megapixels aren't everything, everyone. And this this is a pro well, camera targeted for pro video creators. Yeah, that's actually a good... I wish we could segue, but pause that segue there because that will eventually lead to what we're talking to when we get to future cameras. So just just hang on to that in your back of your mind uh, and we'll use that for a future segue. But moving on, other new products we had out. We had two new smartphones actually in the past week. Very different kind of, uh, I would say. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Even me... though the one OnePlus 8 series, technically they're trying to market their phone as a budget uh, smartphone. But then iPhone said, hold my beer and came out with the iPhone SE. So let's start with that, the iPhone SE. What did we see from Apple? This, I mean, this is basically a fan favorite where Apple took a classic design. It's actually essentially the iPhone 6 design, which came out way back in 2015, I believe. And uh, they iterated on it. We eventually got to the iPhone 8. And what the iPhone SE is, is the internals of an iPhone 11 packed into the body of an iPhone 8. And this is basically giving you insane performance with the A13 Bionic chip, uh, along with a compact form factor, a great screen, you still got Touch ID, and it's only 400 bucks. So this is where Apple was just like, all right, OnePlus, hold my beer, and is yeah, dominating. Yeah, I just, I just said that. Yeah, I mean, but... I, was, I was trying to reference that, but... Oh, okay, um, gotcha. Yeah, it was incredible. It's really... It has, I think, it has... Does it have wireless charging too? Yeah, it does have wireless yeah. charging. The only thing it's missing is 3D Touch. Like this, Apple has officially stopped supporting 3D Touch. So, but I think it's it, for what it includes for four hundred dollars. I think people, if you told them a year ago that Apple is going to be selling a phone for four hundred dollars, yeah, that, they would yeah. they would laugh at you. Uh, so get this, right? Uh, the iPhone 11 starts at seven hundred bucks for just fifty dollars more, seven hundred fifty dollars. You can get the iPhone SE plus AirPods plus an Apple Watch. Right? Like, just Pretty think impressive. about that. 
or for isn't it uh, $750, what can you get from OnePlus? Yeah, so OnePlus, their OnePlus 8 is officially here. It's actually starting at $700. And okay, so you got a little $50 to spare. $50 to spare. It's basically, I mean, the OnePlus 8 is essentially the OnePlus 7T, but with 5G. Like that's, I mean, that's it in a nutshell. They added the, they're using the Snapdragon 865 chip, which is using the X55 for the 5G antenna bands. It will only work with the low band 5G, so T-Mobile 5G. Um, and then they had the OnePlus 8 Pro, which is really a flagship smartphone. It's coming in at $1,000. It's competing against the Samsung Galaxy S20 and iPhone 11 Pro. I mean, it's packing incredible specs with a 120 hertz refresh rate display, uh, the latest chipset and, and all that jazz. But um, I mean, it, they went from the never settle flagship killer to now competing in the flagship landscape. So it's kind of a change from OnePlus. They're great phones, but they're certainly more expensive. And I think the iPhone SE is just going to be super popular with a lot of people. In fact, we're already seeing it sold out in most places. So it's uh, seeming like a win for Apple. Yeah, I mean, for people wondering about more specs on the OnePlus 8 series, we actually did a whole bonus episode on that. You can go back. I think that was about a week and a half ago now. We didn't do one about the iPhone SE because even while... That potentially is the more groundbreaking phone because it really is Apple going into a whole new price range. It was, like you said, basically an iPhone 6 or 8 uh, with the internals of an iPhone 11. There's nothing new about it, but it's just a nice... Like the price a, is what's yeah, new. Yeah, the price is so sweet. And I guess for context, it's using the sensor of the iPhone XR, but it's using the lens of the iPhone 8. So you actually get a 28 millimeter lens as opposed to the 26 millimeter lens on the 10s, 10R, and 11, and then it's using that A13 Bionic, uh, but it's not supporting night mode. You will get portrait mode though. So, I mean, it's just going to be a great phone for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, last new product we got was some lights from your company Aperture. I know. Ooh, Gabe, this is it. Wait, this is the RC LED light bulb, right? Yeah. Well, good news and bad news. Bad news for Stetson, this is not the light bulb that you've been waiting for from them that, you know, I think what, it connects via Bluetooth to each other and you can control it, kind of like Hue lights, but basically for cinematographers. Yeah. This is the Aperture 300X. It is their newest flagship light, and it's the first ever bicolor point source LED light, which let me break that down for you. Basically, that means that where a traditional LED light uses two LED light bulbs. If it wants to be bicolor, it will use ones that's tung tungsten, one that's daylight, and shift in between them. This one actually has one uh, point of light source, so it has one chip that is able to do both the you know tungsten and the daylight, and it, so it can actually just sh shift the full thing in between. Yeah, very cool. Does 56,000 lux maximum output. Oh my output, God. Which is how, I want to explain that again, Stetson? That's basically putting a sun in your room. Uh, yeah, I was hoping for a more technical <laughs> it's, explanation. Uh, it's the level of brightness. So one lux is equivalent to one lumen, which is the equivalent of the light output of one candle. So, yeah. Gabe, so fifty six thousand candles, basically. Yeah, that's um, incredible. That's basically a small sun, I would say. Yeah, and it's uh, twelve hundred dollars, which is definitely expensive. But for when you see what you're getting with this light, seems relatively inexpensive, especially they're marketing it to. And the good news now steps in. Yes, tell me, is Gabe. That you might see your bulbs coming out sometimes in the future. Aperture actually tweeted out the day before they were releasing this product. They said, 
Uh, Tuesday may not have meant anything, but today, oh yes, today marks the first Wednesday of many when we avail new products. Oh, I love it. NAB for just five days? Nah, we'll do it for weeks to come. That's exciting. So it looks like they're taking all the products they were going to release at NAB and they're spreading them out every Wednesday, I guess, for, I don't know, the first five weeks or something. Yeah, or something like that. So that'll keep an eye out on Aperture. Uh, Maybe go to their Twitter get notifications from them so you can see if they release anything new but yeah keep an eye out for them Stetson you may be getting your light bulb before I get my a7s3 I love to hear that let's move on to some software (laughs) news Uh, affinity affinity is a software company they make affinity photo affinity designer and I think one more app uh maybe like Uh, publisher or publisher yeah. yeah for both the iPad and Mac so if you're an Apple customer this could be a great software ecosystem to get your hands into. And also, I think for Windows, too. Oh, yeah, you're right. Actually, for Windows, too. Uh, and they're offering a 90-day free trial for all of their apps, as well as 50% off. So you can get each app for just 25 bucks. And this is through May 20th. So, uh, I mean... They, do, they don't. The big thing is they don't use the subscription model. So Yeah, so you buy it once and you own it forever. I bought these years ago, and they've been great. So... I mean, $25 is nothing considering that's basically, that's like one month of Adobe Creative Cloud. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of sad when you think about it. Not, but. To, not to shoot them down. Uh, and other no. news, US Mobile, they're a cell phone carrier. They announced support for 5G plans coming in July. And they have a promo where you can try them out for three months, $100 for three months. And they're using Verizon's millimeter wave 5G. This is groundbreaking because no other carrier has access to Verizon 5G at this time. So get excited for that. And then uh, I guess lastly, Mavic Mini. Uh, Gabe, you have Mavic Mini, right? I do indeed. And you did a cinema, like, what do you call those? You do like a, a camera I, it's test? It's kind of like just, yeah, just showing people what you can get when you take the drone out of the box, basically. Well, one of the problems with the Mavic Mini is that you weren't able to control the shutter speed, right? So all your motion could have been looking janky or extra sharp or just not as smooth and cinematic as you wanted, right? That is true. Basically, yeah, I think the only way you could really do it is you could lock the exposure, but that was also, yeah, that's not really ideal. Well, good news for you is the Mavic Mini got a software update, so you can now manually control the exposure in video, and with the use of ND filters, you can now get that proper shutter speed, so you can get super nice looking motion blurs and uh, everything you're looking for in a flying camera. I think that's great. I do think it's kind of an odd thing to ever put an ND filter on the Mavic Mini. You know, that's... It's just like such a consumer drone, not really made for pro video, but... Yes, especially considering probably most ND filters are going to be 30, 40, 50 bucks. Yeah, and the drone's only like, what, 350 or 400 bucks? Yeah, so to each their own. Speaking of drones, actually, in leaks and rumors news... We have the Mavic Air 2, which is essentially, I almost don't want to talk about this, the leaks, because it's, we basically now know everything about this drone. You know, it's, it's being released on April 27th, which is two days away. That's going to be Tuesday whoa, whoa. And, or one day away if you're listening yeah, to it on Monday. Uh, my watch says it's April 26th today. Okay. Then that's Monday. Sorry. I'm, I'm so that's it's, tomorrow it's come around so fast. Today? Yeah. Yeah, the DJI website, I'm just looking at it, says uh, one day we're recording on Sunday, so that will be, yeah, it will be Monday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, I'm pretty sure. And, I mean, let's just, this is, I guess we can just call this the release of the Mavic Air right here if you're listening to the podcast. 
what we know about it, it's going to be $7.99, which is cheaper than the original Mavic Air. So that's right off the bat, good news. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be one of the best consumer-focused drones. Gabe, maybe we should just save the specs and talk about it in the next. No, episode. I'm going. I'm going you're, through them. You're plunging through. All right, I'll just hit. I'll just hit the main stuff. All right, head thirty-four us. minutes, thirty-four minutes flight time. That's more than the Mavic Mini, more than the Mavic Pro uh, Two or the Two Zoom, whatever you want to call it, the Mavic Two, and it's going to be. Pretty fast, 68.4 kilometers or 42.5 miles an hour. That's about the same as the Mavic 2 models. Uh, they're, they're slightly faster. Camera, that's the big thing. It's going to have actually the same sensor as uh, many smartphones, the IMX586, which, do you know which smartphones this is in? I'm not quite sure. So I, I can't think remember. this is in, like, this came out in, like, the Mi Mix or something, right? And then Samsung put it in their Galaxy S20 lineup. I mean, it's just in so many phones right now. It's the 48 megapixel sensor that everyone is using. And yeah. really, I mean, the sensor is half the battle and then the image processing is the other half. So hopefully the Mavic Air 2 also has some decent image processing to leverage those 48 megapixels. Yeah, I'm a little concerned about how many megapixels it is. I mean, we've seen it used in a lot of different smartphones, so it obviously works pretty well. But the really the big question is, yeah, how are they going to use all that data? And, you know, is it really going to be have the, the low light quality and all the different, you know, good things we look for, like color science that uh, make this drone stand apart from just any other Chinese brand that can grab the sensor and put it in a drone? Right. I mean, now to yeah, comment yeah, quickly the, is like the Autel Evo 2. They had the 8K sensor and the 6K sensor and the larger 6K sensor is actually putting out better image quality than the 8K sensor. So hopefully, I don't know, we'll see We'll see with the Mavic Air 2. Yeah, it definitely, it'll be interesting. Uh, I know they're, they're saying right now, frame rates wise, it's going to do 4K at 90 FPS. All right, which, what? Isn't that more than the Pro? Yeah, this is that's the thing. So DJI does is great at doing this thing where they release lower end drones that actually surpass their higher end drones. And basically what they do is they get people like me to go out and buy the Mavic Air 2 because, OK, this one has slightly better battery life, slightly better, you know, uh, object avoidance and, you know, the better resolution. I buy this one and then now probably six months later, they'll release the Mavic 3 Pro, which will then surpass this one. And then I'll have to buy that, too. It's, they love it. Gabe, they it's a very love evil you. plot for them uh, to do. Anyways, the last thing I want to talk about is it is going to have Active Track 3. Uh, at least that's what we've seen. We saw a video posted online uh, from several leakers that shows this coming close to what the Skydio 2 has of obstacle avoidance following a biker through a you know narrow like sheltered trail with avoiding trees and stuff. It's interesting because this drone doesn't have, uh, I think it doesn't have side obstacle avoidance, which is interesting. It only has front and back, but it must be wide angle enough that it can kind of sense it if it's going forwards. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine the drone would typically only be flying forwards or maybe be configured to, to just do that. And that way it can detect obstacles and navigate around them while following the subject and keeping the camera pointed forwards. And the last thing we'll have to know about this is that it might be hard to get because the whole COVID-19 crisis and DJ has also, I guess, laid off a bunch of people in their North America branches. So yeah, don't don't necessarily try to rush out there and get this because you might not be able to. You don't be expecting that. And possibly look maybe to get it from places like Best Buy, B&H, US uh, manufacturers so you can support you know some 
U.S. businesses rather than giving all your money. You know, if you're getting a stimulus check, for example, that twelve hundred dollars that will cover this. Don't send all that money directly to China. Maybe support some of your local businesses. Okay, I guess I know what you're doing with your stimulus check. Yeah, right. Pretty much. Um, and actually, we have one more thing. Quick news. Uh, I know you just got a new iMac, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I kind of love it. Ago. 27 inch, 5K. Mm, beautiful. Well I'm, well, I'm glad you got the 27 inch because it looks like they're getting a new 23 inch iMac. Could come out later this year. People who know anything about iMacs are like, wait, isn't it only 21 inch and 27 inch? Well, that's correct. This one will be likely the same size as the 21 inch, but they'll get rid of all the bezels. So the oh, screen no. will actually yeah be larger no. than 23 inch which unfortunately means that probably design is also going to come to the 27 inch i know too. oh god that's okay i i mean yeah. this is something that has been long overdue for the imac and for anyone out there i love the imac it gives you incredible price to power ratio this is going to be something to look into especially if it looks better with the 23 inches and slimmer bezels oh i'm going to be a little bit jealous but uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, maybe you can uh, give that one to me and just go buy another one. <laughs> I love that. I think uh, should we head into the go review? Should we go yeah, there? Let's go into go review. This is our weekly segment now where we take turns reviewing something and also asking the other to review something. So in the last episode, I reviewed meal services and like meal delivery services like HelloFresh, Blue Apron. And then I asked Stetson, hey, Stetson, can you review the Galaxy S20, that new smartphone? flagship smartphone from Samsung that came out, I think now about a month and a half, two months ago. But, you know, many people might now uh, be thinking, hey, maybe it's time to get it because I don't really like what OnePlus has. So let's see what the S20 does. Yeah. So great introduction. I've been using the S20 basically since it came out, pre-ordered the S20 plus, and then actually ended up getting an S20 as well. And I think to kind of compress this review, when you think of a smartphone, you've got, I want to say like five or six pillars. You've got display, battery, camera, build quality, performance, software, and price, something like that. And I guess like, let's start with display. So Samsung is known for their quite incredible displays in smartphones. Gabe, would you agree with that? Like when you think of Android displays, what manufacturer comes to mind? Yeah, Samsung is definitely up there. I'm trying to think. I mean, I do like Pixels, just their colors of their whole um, UI makes their screens look really nice, but they're technically not the best screens. Yeah, Samsung, I would say their AMOLED screens have been pretty much industry uh, defining and, you know, setting the pace for the past, you know, several years. Yeah, and they're used by other uh, camera companies, too. I think Apple actually uses Samsung panels or Samsung is manufacturing the panels in their iPhone. Uh, so and also tablets and computers for a lot of them. For the S20, I mean, it's great. It's vibrant. It's colorful. It's very saturated. And the thing that stood out to me is actually it wasn't as bright as my iPhone XS or even the OnePlus 8. And then as you mentioned, kind of with color accuracy, I don't think it's the most accurate panel. Like pulling it side by side with the OnePlus 8 here and just a basic color like white looks so much better on the OnePlus 8, uh, which did get that CNDC rating of 0.4. So OnePlus put a lot of effort into the color accuracy. Samsung is vibrant, colorful, and looks great by itself. Uh, but sometimes when you compare it with other phones, my opinion is just not, it's not as accurate to some degree. Uh, is, Spec-wise, is it a quad HD or a full uh, 4K? Yeah, so this or... is where it gets kind of 
weird, I should say. If you go into the display settings, you have the option to increase the resolution or increase the frame rate. But as of right now, you can't do both. Uh, so let me quickly pull up the resolution options. You can do HD, full HD+, which is 2400 by 1080. This is the resolution it comes in out of the box. Or you can do the full display resolution, uh, which is quad HD+. Basically, it's 1440p at 3200 pixels high. Um, but you can't do the 1440p and the 120 hertz refresh rate, which is like one of the key features of this smartphone is that incredibly fast, super smooth 120 hertz display. So I wonder if they had maybe overheating features or just completely nuked the battery. I mean, that's another thing. Uh, the battery life hasn't been like with the screen brightness turned all the way up because I've been filming this device a lot and doing 5G speed tests, which I'm sure is exactly what uh, Samsung wanted. But my battery life because of that hasn't been great. Um, but I will say like the higher refresh rate display is so noticeable. It makes everything feel faster, smoother. Um, yeah, I think if you're looking for a new smartphone, I would say higher refresh rate display, get a camera setup that includes at least a wide angle camera and consider 5G. And the S20 definitely delivers on all three of those. Have you noticed a big difference uh, going back and forth between like your iPhones, which are the slower refresh rate and the new phones? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I think the iPhone is just like a consistently smooth experience where I will say some of the animations on the Samsung device are actually kind of slow and chunky. Like something as simple as opening a folder, for example, doesn't quite have the same snappiness that uh, you have on other devices. So the screen is beautiful, but because of some of the UI settings, it's just not as responsive to some degree. So it is noticeable, but it's also like you get used to it. I don't know. It's not it's not a defining feature for me. It'd be nice to have on the iPhone, though. So Apple, if you yeah. can pull that off, I would love to see well, it. Well, the big thing with the S20 is obviously those cameras, right, that they put on the back. Yeah. So, Gabe, I actually took some sample photos and okay. by all means, you're welcome to come into the dock with me. OK, what so I will say about the cameras. Yeah. I love the options because you've got three cameras on the back. You have a 48 megapixel. No, no, no. A 64 megapixel. Excuse me. Uh, yeah. Telephoto lens. You've got actually, I don't know if that one's the telephoto. I think that's the regular one. The regular, yeah, I think you're right. That's the regular one. And so you have the 64 megapixel wide angle, you have an ultra wide angle, and you have a three times telephoto. And like they're, they take good images, but also uh, not great. And they also have a front facing camera. So I did some front facing selfies. And what I learned is Samsung actually has beauty mode turned on by default. So looking at these images here, you can see my face is brightened up quite a bit. And then the software oh, yeah. just tries to like, uh, I guess, alter the background to, to preserve the dynamic range. But I don't know, how do you think these look? Are they too processed? Are they over-processed? Do they look good? Uh, they're... The, the top one has the beauty mode. Then I'm looking at this three photos. Yeah, they I think they look pretty good as far as like if I was taking photos professionally. No, I wouldn't want these. But if you're just sending photos to like a friend and you want to take a quick selfie or, you know, a quick selfie of your friends to post online, 
it's it's nice because it's we talked about this before like how much editing do you want going on in your smartphone as you take the photo and if it's you know just stuff for fun posting it's kind of nice to have that happening happening automatically behind the scenes because then you don't have to do as much editing before you actually post it Gabe, yeah that's a great point like if you're more casual about it taking a photo and having it look nice right off the camera roll is great because you can slap it on social and it'll look awesome and actually samsung's cameras are kind of known uh, for being bright vibrant and saturated and looking good maybe not technically accurate or or precise but in general looking quite good off off of the uh, camera so i think the selfie you know it's okay it's kind of processed in my opinion i would have liked it if the beauty mode was turned off by default um but you know you can obviously go in and change that and what I thought was really nice is if you look at the images here, Gabe, there's two that are side by side and Samsung actually built in a wider angle lens to the selfie camera. So if you're taking a picture with multiple people, you can pop a button and the camera will zoom out and be a little bit wider. Otherwise, it is punched in a little bit. Uh, yeah. So it looks like a nice normal selfie. But, you know, I was going to say actually correction to us. Uh, the 64 megapixel is actually the telephoto. The, it's a 12 megapixel for the wide. And oh, a 12 okay. That makes so much sense. Yeah, it was. Oh, man. All right, cool. So but you know, what's interesting then is the 64 megapixel is the telephoto, but it's yeah. actually a wide angle lens that is just being cropped in on. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So you can go into 64, uh, the 64 megapixel camera mode, and it's actually a wide angle photo. So that means gotcha. for the telephoto, they're just cropping in on all those pixels because they can do that. Okay, um, but that, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. What I noticed is we scroll down to the next page. I was comparing the 12.2 megapixel camera versus the 64 megapixel shooting mode. And the 12 megapixel camera mode, it actually had much higher dynamic range because uh, the camera did a lot more editing to the photo. It could do it because there was less data it had to process. But when you went into the 64 megapixel mode, suddenly it was just crammed with information and and to some degree a lot of detail but it just wasn't as processed so gabe yeah there's well i don't even know if that's processing or not if that's just it can't record as much data per pixel possibly oh that's an interesting insight but i mean what do you think i noticed looking at these that the 12 megapixel photos are more saturated have greater dynamic range um and i guess they're a little bit less detailed to some degree but i think they also look nicer because that ha- they have that extra saturation boost. What do you think of these? Yeah, I'm looking at the sharpness zoomed in. It's definitely more sharpness on the 64 megapixel ones, but it's not that much more. And I also would, the, the thing that's kind of true is I would increase the exposure on the uh, 12 megapixel ones because they kind of, even though they have greater dynamic range, usually you want them to brighten them up a little bit. However, I like that they still have a lot of the data and for example, there's the in the photos that you have, there's the sky that's a bluish sky in one. In the one with the 64 megapixel camera, it's completely white and blown out. So even though you could edit on the 12 megapixel one, you can know you could bring up that sky. You'd at least still have the color uh, values there originally if you wanted to bring that color back in with a slightly brighter sky. Whereas with the 64 megapixel one, that data is not even there to begin with. Yeah, I think that's a great. So and the other thing is when you're shooting in the 64 megapixel mode. The images are huge. You're looking at 16 megabytes to 32 megabytes Jeez. per that image. That is insane. Right? Isn't that nuts? Yeah. And I don't think it's using the HEIC codec, so it's just JPEG. And 
yeah, I mean, I think for the average person, just stick with the 12 megapixel mode. Like, it's not a very useful feature in my opinion. Uh, but you can zoom in up to 30 times. So I don't know, just Gabe, what do you think of these zoom photos towards the bottom of the document? I did a fire hydrant and I did a squirrel. Are these like usable or good? So this is this is 30x a zoom. 30x, 30 times. Um, it's using not only just cropping in, but then it's doing digital cropping, right? Yeah, it's it's a lot of cropping. Where it's upscaling the Oh pixels. god, I don't even think I can look at these. They're like blurry yeah, they're, art. They're, they're pretty bad. I mean, this is why I usually say if your camera phone, just use the max optical zoom it has, take the photo, and then crop it in post tends to be the best thing to do. If, yeah, I mean, if you really need to zoom in and use that 30x, or I know the Ultra has, I mean, the, the top of the line one has the 100 or 100x zoom, right? That's even yeah, worse. Yeah, space zoom. Yeah. It's nuts. I mean, I I would never use it, but if, it's good to have in a pinch. Just get Ultimately, closer to your subject. I, I'm very, I, I do think these photos are really good. I think Sam, you know, Apple tends to have more reliable cameras from generation to generation. But Samsung, I feel like this one, they did a pretty good job. There's definitely some shortcomings with their cameras, but you can get some really good images out of them. I agree. I think the thing with Samsung is they have good cameras, but they do a lot of image processing. And I think for most people, that's going to be fine. Like the extra saturation, the vibrancy, it looks great. Uh, whereas if you're more into professional photography, the more balanced tones in iPhones can be more desirable for some situations. But overall, I think you're going to love this phone. Uh, it's got pretty good camera, top of the line build quality. Performance was super snappy with the Snapdragon 865 and 5G performance. Um, and the 120 hertz made everything feel fluid and fast and responsive, and I loved it. Software, uh, this is actually an interesting point where I feel when we have all of these glass sandwich phones, the software is what sets it apart, and the Samsung flavor isn't my favorite. Like I actually prefer the clean uh, design of the OnePlus 8 software. So, or the Pixel. Yeah, or even the Google Pixel. Like I prefer those phones because of the software. Uh, and lastly, price. These phones start at a thousand bucks, which is expensive. The Ultra, fourteen hundred dollars. Could you imagine spending that on a phone, Gabe? That's, I mean, you can spend that on, you know, for example, an iPhone. There, I think iPhone eleven Pro, you'd have to go to the second tier up, which is two hundred fifty six gigabytes, right? Yeah. And with the OnePlus, they don't even have a phone in that price range. Yeah, so it's pretty much, yeah, that's crazy that it would start at fourteen hundred. I mean, you're seeing Samsung go premium more and more and blowing past premium with the fold and the z flip so i guess that's what the market they want to get into maybe we'll see them uh drop the prices down as well actually they already did yeah they did, they did. it's funny you bring that up but also i was going to say as we get to different generations the thing is basically they always try to push the specs so they're always putting cutting edge components in there which costs a lot of money to manufacture but then as more companies start using those and release flagship phones that have them, then the price drops down. Yeah, as the manufactured parts reach scale. Uh, yep. So I guess overall, it's a good phone. If you like Samsung, I think you're going to love this one. It's expensive, uh, so you may actually consider going with their Galaxy A51 or A71 series for a better value. Which they just made those available in the North America. Yeah, I, so I would check those out. Um, but, you know, and it's The last it's thing I want to ask, uh, you have the S10, right? Or had the S10? I, don't know I do have the do. S10. Do you think this is a worthwhile upgrade for someone who has the S10? I do not. I think the S10 is a strong device, 
I would hold on until next year. I think you're going to get just a better generational leap. I mean, like the S10 also has good cameras, good performance, good design. And you're not really, the only thing you're getting really is 5G and a slightly tweaked design. And the refresh rate or no, they're the same. I mean, the refresh rate is improved because you're going from 60 hertz to 120 hertz. I just don't like, I wouldn't spend $1,000 to upgrade right now. I think it's like wait a year and then upgrade and you're just going to get that much better of a phone. So that's my take. Seems like good advice. Yeah, but I mean, speaking of possibly upgrading and oh, wait, before we even segue into the, yeah, the main topic, on. you got to you got to assign me. On let's my get a record scratch going. Point, I'm like a I'm like a record. I'm like a rocket ready to launch at the next go review. You got to oh, point man, me in the right I way. I had so many ideas for this one, Gabe, and I just all right. All right. Here we go. I'm going to give you two options. Option number one. Google Stadia. You can, Google Stadia. You can take a stab. Right. I, for, I forgot to mention that I gave you that option before for last week, and you gave it to me for the previous week. So this is this is the continuing third week of Google Stadia. It's people, you table. might there's a chance you might get a review for Google Stadia in our next episode. Or I'm going to give you a second option. Okay. Uh, and again, a lot a of choice. ideas here. Yeah. I think I'm going to go Apple TV Plus. It seems like everyone's kind of at home. There's a bunch of different services available. So I'm going to say Apple TV okay. Plus. What you know? What your do you want me are. to do a comparison? Yeah, actually, like that now, that, now that I'm speaking this out loud, that would be really great. Maybe you know Apple TV Plus, Hulu, Netflix. Maybe because yeah, a lot of people already are getting Apple TV Plus for free. So I think that's know, a they're... great idea. I love. All that. right. Yeah. So those well, are the. Options. I mean, I'm definitely, I'm definitely thinking Google Stadia is up there for review potential, but we'll have to wait and see until next week. Oh, man, I'm excited to tune back in yeah. and see what you review. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're going to, I mean, I hope you're going to be there to record the episode with me. I, yes, right? I'm, <laughs> no, I'll just be, I'll just be listening the whole time. All right, here again. Just be waiting to, waiting to listen to with it on Monday. I'm breath. like, Stetson, I need you to record this episode with me first. Stetson, are you there? Are you there? Are you saying anything? Are you yeah. there? Gabe, I'm just waiting yeah. for the go review. Just, just what did you review? review? Audience, yeah. tune in with us next, next two weeks, uh, whenever that happens. And, uh, uh but we might do a bonus episode for the. Yeah, I oh, I'm excited there. about that. Oh, so many things to get excited about. New cameras, new drones, new tech. Speaking of new cameras, Gabe, what like what's your dream camera? Well, it's funny you should mention it. I actually had a nightmare last night. A nightmare night camera? My, my about my not my, my worst camera. Oh my and god. This is the the Canon, what do they call that? The the clip-on Canon camera? And actually no, that well, that's yeah, that could be the Ivy Rec <laughs> Mini. No, but actually, my nightmare camera would be a camera that has 8K video potentially. So wait, whoa, Gabe, yeah, what? why is I'm that a your little, nightmare camera? I have to say, even though I'm excited about the EOS R5 and and you know this big step up we're seeing in mirrorless and DSLR cameras from 4K being the norm uh, to 6K potentially 8K, I'm a little worried because I think that resolution isn't everything you know i i mentioned back when we were talking about the c300 and stuff about how you know you were saying that you know resolution isn't everything and that oftentimes it's better to have better color science better bit rate stuff like that and i totally agree because i actually think a great video to watch is this uh if you don't know potato jet he's this youtuber does awesome love potato jet. cameras incorporating cinematography into it (laughs) we're gonna listen to that backwards and be like oh yep cinema cinema that word has too many slight variations for me but 
the point is, yes, check him out if you haven't already. Specifically, his video on the C500 Mark II versus the Canon EOS R. And I think this is a great video to illustrate. I mean, the, the cameras are no comparison. One's $15,000, one's like 3200 or yeah, and probably potentially less with the discounts. Yeah. So no comparison in that sense. But what he does is he went with both cameras recorded 1920 by 1080p video. And so you're thinking, all right, same same video resolution, right? No difference there. But it's what you're getting is incredibly different sensors, different processors and different potentially recording formats. And it's ridiculous. The difference in what? sharpness you're getting. Yes, right. You wouldn't think really? sharpness for 1080p. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's incredible. Like Stop. true color is different. Stop dynamic the podcast. Range. I'm watching this now. I know. No, I'm kidding. I'll be watching it. this uh, immediately after because I'm I'm very intrigued by that. It really changes your whole view on how important resolution necessarily is. Because so, he he crops in like four times on this, right? And the Canon EOS R footage looks like absolute crap. Looks like a paint, you know, a painting done with watercolor brushes. Whereas the one shot on the C500 Mark II is looks like it could have been 8k footage cropped in like it's still perfectly like you can see every detail and every yeah it's just mind-blowing well well hang on wait a minute how does this have to do with resolution or or the color science like does the higher end camera have a higher megapixel sensor or like what was causing no, no it does difference it doesn't have a higher megapixel sensor if anything it probably has a lower megapixel sensor but even if it has the same uh you know sensor resolution it's all really about the stuff that the camera is doing behind the scenes. So potentially, you know, what codec it's using. Is it recording raw? Is it recording, you know, log formats? There, potentially, how much is it compressing the video? What is it doing, uh, you know, like HDR wise? And also the big thing we're seeing more and more is color science. Is it doing, you know, 444, 422, 424? Basically, how much information is it packing into uh, each frame versus... <laughs> Uh, not how big the frame is, right? That makes a lot of sense. Like think think of it like a 3D shape, like a box, right? And the frame is just how the dimensions of the box as far as length and width. And the depth is how, well, they call it bit rate or bit depth. That's how much info is in that box. So yeah, you can have 8K frame, but if the box is only two inches deep, that's not that big of a box. You can't fit much in it. Right, so you want a very deep box. You get a lot of data in the... I'm saying yep. data. I feel like it should be data, but a lot of data in Either those or. frames. Yeah. That makes a lot of... So what... I mean, do you have an ideal... Like, what do you want a camera to be recording in? Do you want 422, 444? I mean, 444 is like the... That's incredible if we could do that. But for a consumer video camera, DSLR, mirrorless, 422 would be really great. But I really think that 4K is... I'm okay with that for now. Yeah, 6K is okay. That sounds really cool and stuff. But I mean, for for you personally, 4K footage, I, when I'm editing it, especially a long video, my computer's starting to hate me if I get too long or you know too many effects going on top of that. I have to say my iMac is actually handling it quite well. So okay, well, but if but upping that to 6K, do you think? I, you know, yeah, I mean, you're definitely bringing up a really good point where all of a sudden these higher resolution files are not only larger, taking up more space on your hard drive uh, and are more intensive to process, but they can just slow down and bog down the editing process. And that in turn can make it more challenging to create your video in a time efficient manner. So you kind of bring up a good point where you want to strike a compromise between 
the image quality, and then what your computer can handle. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they're always going to push resolution and specs because that's what a lot of people look at. You know, oh, good. Well, it's so easy to compare those. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Where it's a lot harder to, you know, analyze color, you know, oh, this one's more color accurate, especially, you know, when you're going into the post-processing and how much you can tweak colors and stuff. So I think, yeah, that's, for me, that's right off the bat. I would like to see less focus on the resolutions. I mean, the Mavic uh, Air 2, you know, is only going to be doing 4K, potentially 6K. We'll see. But, you know, we had that Autel Evo, the 8K one and the S20 Plus or Ultra that was doing 8K. And it's just, it's not very good video quality. I mean, I think the case in point is almost what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast with the Canon C300 Mark III and the EOS R5, where uh, the C300 has a 12 megapixel sensor, I think, or something, or maybe, Uh, yeah. Yeah, the R5 is going to have a, I think, 500, or no, 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 (laughs) 45 megapixel sensor, sorry. Yeah, it's got to have something huge to even support the 8K resolution, but I mean, it's clear based on the price points and the target demographics that the C300 will potentially undoubtedly deliver uh, the better image. So yeah, I mean, I think, You're right. I think more emphasis should be put on color. I think it can be more challenging. Well, color, color, and the bitrate as far as like and dynamic range stuff like that. Basically, how the video, the the depth of the file versus just the size. I think that can be challenging to compare. I mean, for consumers and on a spec sheet, but you're you're definitely oh, it definitely can. You're true, true there. Uh, What do you? What would you like to see? I mean, honestly, my my dream. So I film a lot of phones. And actually, the higher resolution is so beneficial because I can crop in on the screen. And that allows me to like get two shots or two framings of one shot or one scene with just one recording. Or I can punch in and get extra detail on the phone. And but, that, that's really helpful. But if you're cropping into garbage. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's true. That if it's garbage in, it's garbage out. Uh, yeah. So I would love to see your color depth. I think 4K is my minimum. Like, Getting that 4K resolution with the same color, bitrate, and, and depth is that's huge. Like that's in a dream camera. I would be okay to 6K, but you know, now that you mentioned the editing slowdown and the larger file size, maybe 4K is just that sweet spot. But for me, the other big thing is a flip out screen. Gabe, what do you think of that? Do you need a flip out screen? I mean, I haven't been using one for a couple of years, and I don't think You've been using one for years anyway. Well, I've actually, like, the the, P, uh, the P950, the Coolpix uh, Nikon Super Zoom camera, this $800 camera with 2,000 millimeter zoom, kind of a Frankenstein sort of camera. It actually does have a flip out screen. And I've had to, as I've been comparing it to another Super Zoom similar camera from Panasonic, which has a touch screen, but no flip out screen. I've had to be like, which one is better? Because it's, I, I wish, I you know, ideally probably you could have both, but it you can comes to a both. point. Yeah, well, you can, but it comes to a point uh, where a lot of manufacturers try to go one or the other because they both cost money to do that feature. So they don't want to put both and jack up their price. I really think a touchscreen is oftentimes better. I know a flip out screen is really great, but I don't know. I go back and forth. It depends really on your uses, but I often find a touchscreen is so much easier to get quickly through the controls you want. Whereas, you know, going traditional buttons, Click, 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 click takes forever. Uh, however, yeah, getting a shot low to the ground and having to just, all right, now I got to lie on the ground to get that I can't shot. Just, yeah, is a 
is a game changer too. Okay, yeah, well, I'm gonna game. I'm gonna say that's a valid point, but I'm also gonna override it. Like just boom. Okay. Uh, the ninety the Canon ninety D has a touchscreen and a flip out screen, so it's awesome. So my question to you is: take something like the A sixty six hundred, or yeah, the A sixty six hundred compared with something like the EOS R five, which is gonna have that flip out sideways screen versus a flip up screen. Which one of those would you prefer in your dream camera? I think I think I'd probably have the flip out. It just offers more options. But again, if I can get a better touchscreen, that was one thing I was thinking and I had put in my list. You know, we use smartphones all the time. They have really great touchscreens. Oh, yeah. We've kind of gotten used to them. Wait. Why can't we get something that quality in a camera? Dream camera, just take an iPhone, make that the back display. That's it. That's your yeah, interface. Just hook it in. Oh, my gosh. Right? That would be pretty cool. That would be incredible. I would also, you know, I think they could take a lot of notes from smartphones. I don't want cameras to become like smartphones. This is so true. Like but, bigger sensor, please. Don't do the yes. 100 times zoom. Uh, but definitely take the UI elements, like being able well, to tap, tap, yeah, set. UI, touchscreen, also multiple sensors. And I mean this in a couple ways. A, Whoa. doing accelerometers or gyroscopes for better stable, which I think a lot of them have that already for the, you know, in-body stabilization. Sure. But also, I think uh, having that along with additional image sensors so they can do kind of the, you know, what portrait mode does, right? With it uses parallax between two sensors to be able to, you know, uh, kind of sense where where objects are in space, basically. Well, Gabe, isn't you, that what the lens is supposed to do? Like, you shouldn't need another sensor to do that, right? To do what? To do portrait mode. No, no, no. But not, not to do portrait mode, I was saying, but just to use... Uh, two, two different. If you have, for example, your main sensor that the camera that you shoot through, but then an additional sensor that's able to, uh, basically because it's separated from the main sensor, it can do what your eyes do, which is tell the distance from stuff, and that would enable a lot of like three D tracking in space. So potentially, you could you know do real time effects in camera with you know placing objects in the scene like AR stuff. Oh wow! So you're or or even record. Uh, the depth data data and you know tracking data so you could easily just import the whole file into like adobe after effects and drop effects in without having to do a bunch of you know depth tracking and stuff like that i think we'd have to reimagine the camera body design to pull that off um, potentially yes that's true i would i mean you mentioned ibis i would love that in my camera as well and i think along with depth tracking and other tracking technology Object tracking for focus. I, I love Canon's dual pixel autofocus as well. And then face and eye detection. I want this to work in all camera modes with all settings. Um, but I think I just want to jump into like the future where, all right, let's say we take your depth sensor and your camera. We package that in a 360 camera. And then you just use that as your main camera in your studio. So all of a sudden, like, I do a slider shot of a phone, right? Phone's on desk, slider, camera slides from one side to the other and keeps the phone in the center of the frame. What if the camera just recorded everything, got the depth data of the phone, and in post-production, I could just key in, frame it up, lock it on the phone, track that, and then add the background blur? How cool would that be? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly kind of what I think that I've been saying for a while, 360 cameras are the way of the future. They basically, in a camera form without having a gimbal, they allow you to get X and Y axis stabilization. So you can do, yeah, you can you can move a 360 camera from one side to another 
of an object and then go and post and track that and keep that object perfectly centered in the frame like you were using a gimbal to lock on it and circle around it. That's incredible. Yeah, I would love that. And then something interesting is that it, it wasn't a prom, but like it was a the formal dance at Ithaca. They had like a bullet time effect where they had a row of cameras all lined up and they would take an image from the leftmost camera all the way to the rightmost camera, stitch those images together in a GIF that would slide back and forth and it looked almost 3D. But I think yeah. if you moved a 360 camera fast enough, you could pull off the same effect. Potentially, yeah. I mean, that has the uh, bullet time for the Insta360 cameras. They have this kind of wand that you spin around over your head and it goes at like, I think, 200 frames per second. You slow it down. It looks super cool, kind of like that. It's hard to do that. Um, the reason why that looks 3D, you have a bunch of cameras taking photos at the same time and then it can move from side to side and it kind of, that's the impression of 3D it gives is because it's frozen action oftentimes and it's moving around. I don't think you could do that with one camera because yeah, it's probably true. It, it has to be moving really, really fast. Either really, really fast or you just have to be very still for the effect to be pulled yes, off potentially. Uh, appropriately. But going back to, I was talking about how smartphones, uh, they should incorporate some features from there. We don't have, we don't have any 360 cameras in smartphones. So, well, you can not get really... accessories. Yeah, you can get for the essential plug phone. In. They, they had a, uh, a 360 camera accessory. It was kind of a disaster. I, you but know, one, th yeah. one thing I'd like to see though is, you know, with a lot of people now live streaming or video chatting uh, from usually with their laptop cameras, which are awful, <laughs> maybe with a smartphone camera, slightly better. But if you have a DSLR lying around, it'd be really nice if there was a way to, you know, put that up through Wi Fi, just hook up from the camera. All of these cameras have Wi Fi built in. Why can't you have a way? I know GoPros have it where you can live stream to YouTube, Facebook, or even uh, what is it? RT, TSP or something. I don't know. L like file sharing type thing. And you can use it to do like a multicam setup all over Wi-Fi. That oh, would be really cool. That I mean, I the cameras would just drain their batteries. So it would absolutely die. But that's a I really mean, good point. Yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd definitely plug your cameras in. But like, wouldn't it be great if you could have, for example, like two Sony cameras or two Canon cameras set up uh, two different angles and then have your smartphone or tablet there on the desk and running from maybe, I don't know, maybe it's the Canon app or maybe it's a different app and being like switching angles back and forth. Like that'd be nuts. You would need so huge cool. bandwidth to be able to handle all that data transfer though. Well, not necessarily because it so? basically, it basically would just require the cameras uh, companies working on, you know, making a specialized codec or, you know, some sort of way to, you know, reduce the file size, compress it a bunch just for this mode so that I could easily transfer at low latency off the camera. I like that. You know, it's interesting to bring that up because I think the DJI drones can actually live stream to YouTube and Facebook. Yep, they can. That's and, nuts. Well, go, like I said, GoPros can do it. But just so. imagine a flying drone Possible. while you're like gaming. It's like flying around you, getting all the different angles. I've I've used the DJI live stream. It works pretty well, honestly, and which is incredible if you're thinking that this is not just going directly from the drone to online YouTube, but it's actually going from the drone to your controller, then through the cable into your smartphone, and then from your smartphone online. I guess if DJI can do it, other camera companies can do it, but I think they'd want to see that as a priority or or like a, a real use Well, case. The, I would say the cop-out that DJI is taking is they're going... 
from the from the you know they're using your smartphone really to transmit it online right and they just have the their you know ocusync link to the drone is just giving the video because it always does sure but, i mean it's a, it's an interesting that's an interesting idea and i kind of like it i want to jump back to just like storage because you mentioned yeah. getting a lot of a high bit rate in your video cameras that'd be in, amazing incredible for the image quality yes, what do you want to use to store all of this data on i mean i personally love sd cards oh yeah I like, you like them a little bit i do you have i have a lot have? of them i have a lot of them they're small they're you know they're portable you can have a like i can have a pack of 20 of them and it fits in a wallet you know okay that's, that's, a, that's like. a very valid point i respect that well what do you think of something like the black magic pocket camera that can record directly to an ssd i mean it's a great use because it's ssds people don't know solid state drives they're super high uh transfer rates they're you know they're not a hard drive so they don't have to worry about a disc and they're pretty compact not as compact as a sd card but the thing is they're very very expensive do you th are they more expensive than sd cards for the same storage oh, amount? ridiculously more expensive you can get an sd card that's one of the fastest out there for sd cards at you know 256 gigabytes and that's maybe $60 tops. I think it might be even cheaper. SSDs, if you want to get a fast, you know, an SSD to record with, uh, yeah, the Blackmagic or something like that, you're going to be looking at 300 minimum. You think so? No. Yeah. I can get yes. a terabyte for $115 right now. From where? From B&H. Crucial one terabyte internal SATA SSD. But is that compatible with black? Oh, I guess you'd have to thing. get you'd have to get a camera uh, companies. But you can get camera a, companies have these. Uh, also, they're cert only compatible with certain brands, just like your uh, camera is only compatible that with is certain so SD sneaky. card brands. So, and also the thing is, those cameras are also putting out a lot more. So, a one terabyte sounds big, but for you know those cameras that have uh, SSD compatibility, usually they're putting out a lot bigger files. So, one terabyte often isn't that big of a uh, you know storage space. I don't know. I think so it's I, a, it's a I, I understand I understand your want there, but I I really like having the ability to have cheap storage like an SD card because it's used by so many people they're able to mass produce them. I think we will see that with stuff like maybe CF Express cards as they get used in like the Canon EOS R5 and maybe eventually SSDs, but they're they really need to come down in size, I think. I can understand that for sure. I'm just trying to I'm struggling to find a comparable device here. Because the one terabyte, they make one terabyte micro SD cards. That That's mind-blowing to me. But those are really expensive. I don't know. I'm kind of up in the air. I like the portability of the SD cards. But the extra space and being able to record directly to an SSD and then just plug that into your computer and be good to go, that seems that seems really nice. It seems like a very convenient feature to me. I I guess we'll have to... We'll have to go back and forth on that the, one. I, I mean, personally... cameras will not be using SD. Or... Let's just let's just say I just looked up. Okay, SSD here, uh, Angelbird the SSD Mini, which is uh, the ones that they use in like the Ninja recorders. One hundred ninety nine dollars for five hundred gigabytes. That's expensive. Yeah, I mean, hmm, and, I guess, I guess it depends. And it's super fast, but it's it's also it's pretty big. Like I, I think they need to make uh, a, maybe a new card type or something. Maybe it's the CF Express. There's other ones out there. Something that, because I don't like having the USB-C to plug into the camera itself. I want it just to slot into a thing that keeps it held well and automatically has the pins built in. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And I guess it's it's similar in price. You can get an external SanDisk SSD for 72 bucks, or you can get a SD memory card for 70 bucks. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, are there any other aspects you'd want to have in your dream camera? Uh, I don't know. Not many. It sounds like really just image quality the, is the, the most only important. other thing. I guess going back to smartphones, you know, we talk, uh, stuff I want to see from smartphones. The last thing I guess would be, I love how smartphones are kind of able to integrate with other devices. So, well, sometimes it's it's painful, but getting it's you know, it's been slowly trending towards. It's very seamless. You know, you can connect to a GoPro camera, connect to your Fitbit watch, connect to your Apple watch, connect to your headphones. Right, just kind of acts as this hub. They can connect to other devices to, and that would be really cool if smart uh, smartphones features of being able to do that so easily could be passed on to cameras. Mainly, I'm thinking I've often expressed the need for gimbals and cameras to communicate better together. That would be really great if they, you know, if they could do that and possibly transfer the image to the gimbal, so the gimbal can use it for tracking and stuff like that, or you know, a bunch of different things I think could be helpful, but camera companies opening up the camera the back end and maybe some software or basically just offering ways to integrate better with accessories would be really good that's a great point i mean i know one of the common problems we have is that the internal image stabilization the ibis on the camera along with the image stabilization on the lens can actually look really weird with the stabilization on the gimbal when if everything was working together harmoniously i feel like you could yeah. get much smoother footage it didn't look as distorted, wobbly, or janky. So that's a that's a great point. And I think going off of that, like I just want every cam- camera manufacturer to have a clean, fast, responsive app that I can use to control my camera and see the image. That's my dream. I, I would love that. And some are much better than others. Like Panasonic, they have their app locked down. Uh, Sony, I can't really say the same thing for. Sony's better. I thought Sony was bad too for a while. Uh, they then I used Nikon's app and I went, wow, <laughs> Sony's is actually pretty good. Wow. You know, there's there's just yeah. The real thing for me is the connectivity because I'm often you know taking pictures and quickly connecting to my camera, then connecting to Wi-Fi to share the photos and going back. You know, yeah, doing a lot of that swapping in between, especially if I have multiple cameras and connecting to one camera, connecting to another camera. The big thing is how easily does it connect to Wi-Fi, like to the camera's Wi-Fi and then disengage from it. And some are just so painful where I have to restart the camera, turn off Wi-Fi, go through this whole rigmarole. Whereas one's GoPro, I think, has knocked it out of the park. Their cameras use low energy Bluetooth. You connect to them, then that turns on Wi-Fi. You hit join that Wi-Fi, and boom, you're in in about 15 seconds or so. I love that. And I think the other thing, too, is if you're a social media influencer, like being able to pull the image off the camera to your smartphone quickly edit it in Adobe Lightroom on the go and then share it to Instagram, that's just so much more of an efficient workflow than plugging it into your computer, importing all the photos, like going through each one, airdropping it back to your phone, and then sharing it on Instagram. I think I think the integration and the process for some of these workflows, whether you're streaming, you're sharing photos on social media platforms, or you're doing other workflows, I think the interconnectedness could be significantly improved um yeah i think i mean yeah one thing is i don't want to see i know the uh a7s2 had apps that you had to buy yes this is whoa 
Yeah, this was really horrible. So they the A7S II didn't actually have a time-lapse feature built in. Wait, stop. No. Yes, Dude, no, no. I, I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. Instead, you had to buy a $9.99 app on the Sony store, and then you, I forget how you got it onto the device itself, but somehow you got it onto the, um, to this camera, and then that was the app you'd then have to open to then use to do a time-lapse. It was, yeah, That's... so I don't want that. I still want it <laughs> all... Do. That's great. I want it to all be one. Like I want it to all be Apple's walled garden in the sense that you don't have apps that you have to use from, you know, all right, you have to download this app and this app. I want it to all be features that are built into the camera um, and built into the, you know, the main operating system. But I still want to have that that openness and, you know, potential to integrate with other uh, platforms. Speaking of apps, I'd also love just the software updates of the camera and the like the software oh, to be easier, yeah it'd be easier. Right? Like it should be like downloading an app it, it should not be... not not download to your sd card or download to your computer and then connect it to your computer yeah, and you get this scary message like do not turn off the camera while it's updating yeah. close all apps open on your I computer st- i still haven't been able to update my a7 III yet i've tried multiple times and every time it fails my goodness i think i've actually updated mine recently because uh we were talking about it and that's yeah i mean it just should be so much easier i don't know what the camera manufacturers are doing they're making it they're making it too challenging on us. All right, so if you were to build your dream camera, what, like, pick different cameras out there. Like, pick the Wi-Fi capabilities of the GoPro, the image sensor of some other camera. What what would you bring together to build okay. your dream camera? Um, Yeah, definitely. You, you nailed the Wi-Fi capabilities of the GoPro. They're really doing it right. Also, their app, probably, too. Really well done. Maybe DJI's app too as well. I kind of like their surprisingly good apps. I want to give yeah. them credit for that. I would do the image sensor, probably of well the one the I mean I'll say the A7S three because that's the rumored one out there. But I wouldn't want a high super high res image sensor. The twenty four megapixels I have on the A7 three is pretty good, and I probably wouldn't go much above that. I you know some people if you're into fo- you know, taking photos, you might want a higher res one, but I think being able to have that slightly lower res sensor, not really wanting to do 8K, I'll I'll go with 6K, that's fine. You know, it gives you the ability to crop in a little bit and still get 4K, but doing high res, um, yeah, 6K, that's good. And then high bit rate, doing some nice high frame rates at 4K. So the, the 4K 120 at the R5, that's something that's particularly exciting to me. I would want the flip out screen from Canon. I'll give you that, you know, but I would want that touch screen. So wait, Canon, if they had Canon to go, has touch screens. I know, I know they do. But I'm just saying I would, if the camera company had to go, oh, we can do a cheaper flip out, like the Sony flip out style or just flips Game, up. Get it, dream bigger, a dream screen. bigger. It does everything. Okay, dream bigger. I would want to, uh, actually, I want a screen that folds out like the Sony, or like the Canon one, but then is actually a Samsung fold. So it flips up to be <laughs> like an eight inch display oh my that god that would be cool wait could you imagine what if it's just a small folding phone or not folding phone but folding screen on the back of the camera so instead of like you flip it out it unfolds out either top or bottom and then suddenly could work. you have a six inch display instead of a three inch display well, i think it would need to i don't know we'll figure that out later once we do yeah that's for the uh, the engineers to figure out but that could be actually a cool use of a folding, actual folding display. I would want, uh, I do kind of want to see some integration of uh, touch screen and con- or touch sensitive controls, possibly. I don't know. I have 
not quite set on that, but maybe even haptic feedback would be an interesting Ooh. thing to see included uh, with cameras, especially like to show that if you're doing manual focus, it would let you know when you're hitting focus. Oh my God, feedback. that's so brilliant. Or maybe if you're running low on battery or you're about to yeah. hit your recording limit. You know what? Forget it. Dream camera doesn't have a recording limit. That's yeah. Just automatically starts offloading it over Wi-Fi. And I don't know. No, I think that's I. What about wireless charging? No, I'm going no. I think no? it's so much okay. better. Fast charge battery bank. Like you get a battery charging hub that can support fast charging for multiple batteries at once. That and, is well, the dream. and one thing too is not all cameras can run the camera while they're charging. So that's a big feature. Oh I yeah, think we need to, to have that for sure. I mean, yeah. the what's interesting about the Sony A7 III is you can charge it while recording. But at some point, it just overheats, and then you're like, "Well, that was that was a nice try, Sony, but it doesn't, not quite there." So definitely not overheating is a big thing. Yeah, 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 for sure. However, they achieve that. Yeah, I think that's that's and definitely uh, compatibility with several different lens types would be good. Whoa! So you would do Canon EF and Sony E? I mean, I guess I don't know. I guess that that part really is more about how they you know play with. Uh, people like the Metabones adapter and the different adapters, you know, giving them the ability to use a bunch of the information and pass it through so that, that for example, if you're using Sony and you want to put a, a Canon lens, you can use the adapter and still get electronic uh, focus and everything. Yeah, I, that's uh, that sounds like a dream camera, Gabe. When are you coming out with this? <laughs> when can I buy it? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the I am excited for the EOS R5. I do think that that potentially, it's, it's you know, I, when I first started getting into cameras, it was like the 5DX uh 5d mark three right right i think you were about the same time and that was like that was the camera that everyone was talking about and like that was like the one that if you were starting into videography you dreamed of getting that camera and i think this could this is kind of giving me similar feels right now of that this is bringing canon back from that uh the ones that used to be good at video and stuff back from the grave yeah exactly do you want to take uh bets on the price for this guy what do you think the r5 is going to resell for I'm going to go with 4500. Yeah, I was thinking like 4000. Um do you think they'll do like a software upgrade package? I don't think Canon does that. Canon doesn't do that. Yeah. That's more Panasonic, which actually they just released a uh, <laughs> new software update that does 6K raw. Whoa. So, That's amazing yeah. they can on the, just on do the that. S1H. Yeah. Yep. Wow. The S1H actually has an interesting flip out screen cuz you get the it'll flip out and then it'll flip the it's hard to explain, but you get the Yeah. You get the flips. And I would say Panasonic Actually, give me also Panasonic's user interface. I know everyone likes Canon's, but I really like Panasonic's user interface. I've used it on their point and shoots, on their more complex cameras, and it's very intuitive. And yeah, it's just well done. I'm a big Canon guy. We should just scrap whatever Sony's doing, throw that out the window. That is garbage. And who yeah. puts who puts a touch screen on that you can't actually touch the menu options? That's just ridiculous. I don't. Under, I still don't understand that with the A7 III. I don't know if it's because it's not that sensitive of a touchscreen. It's like would, you can tell if someone's touching it. <laughs> yeah, pretty. Yeah, right. It's just of like you can touch one per second, maybe or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know about that, but I think you bring up some. I mean, this camera sounds incredible, but uh, too yeah. bad. I mean, we'll see. We'll wait and maybe see. Maybe by 2030, we'll be able to buy it. Oh, and also possibly having the. 360 editing capabilities of like the Insta 360. I, I almost cameras. see like three dream cameras. One, we have the 360 camera that 
can do the intense image tracking. It has a software suite to go with it, so you can pull off all these incredible stunts. We have one video focus camera, like the C300 Mark III, where you have huge pixels, low noise. It looks beautiful and cinematic and gorgeous. And we have one photo camera where you have maybe a higher resolution sensor. You have a great touchscreen interface. You get you know all these features that you would want for each specific camera, and you're good to go. So you just need three cameras in your arsenal, maybe a couple lenses, and uh, you're ready to create some banging content. You only need three cameras in your arsenal. <laughs> Uh, oh, you say that, that you say that's like it's like a normal thing. Yeah, I just have my yeah, three just, cameras. You know, here. you use your three cameras. It's you know that's what you need. You don't need one; you just three of them. I don't know. Well, I, yeah. I mean, do you have anything else for your dream camera? I or? guess before we get out of here, prime lenses uh, where are or we uh, zoom lenses. Uh, I like zoom lenses personally. Yeah, me too. They're just so much more flexible. I, I do. I have kind of been swayed by the ninety millimeter macro I got for my Sony two point eight. You know, oh, very I low aperture. It's very nice, but I still love that versatility of even if it's just that you're using the widest setting and the most zoomed in setting of a zoom lens, because that's what honestly, I, I feel use. Like, right. That's either what it's you're not using that middle area. It's but so true, but it's just I like, have a 2470. I feel like I'm either using at 2470 or at 50 if I want the no distortion. I, you know what? I actually agree with that. I think mine, I use it at 24. I use it at 105 a lot. Sometimes I'll bounce between 35, 50 and 70 just depends on the shot i'm going for but uh but yeah i think that's going to be it those that, that's our dream camera wish list for all the camera manufacturers listening to this yeah, podcast ta- ta- we'll tag them thank uh, you so uh, much for making this happen wait what's that you're not you're not making it happen guys what are you oh, doing no. Get out well, of they're here. making it happen they're just very slowly uh we'll check back in 2030 i will say i think well, let's go give them five years five 2025 we'll do, five year we'll do a we'll do a rain check or maybe maybe there. a yearly check-in yeah let's i like that. that gabe i like it you know yeah. what see what's on the landscape set series set a reminder to check back in a year <laughs> oh man all right thank you so much for lis- listening to this episode of the pinch the zoom podcast uh follow us on twitter at pinch to zoom pod instagram at pinch to zoom podcast pinchazoompodcast.com and please feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts that really helps support our show and we greatly appreciate it. Spotify needs to add reviews of podcasts or something like that. Gabe, you bring up a good point. Maybe we should go over our top streaming music features in the next episode. But either way, that's going to be it. I'm Stetson. I'm 8K Gabe. And we are super excited to speak to you in our next episode covering the Mavic Air 2. Take care, guys. I think I need to make a correction to my three camera setup. You actually need four cameras. You need your 360 camera, you need your video camera, you need your photo camera, and then you need your flying camera. Forgot about that one. I mean, any camera can be a flying camera if you throw it. <laughs> Frisbee, $20,000. One, a one-time flying camera. <laughs>